I'm excited. Exodus chapter 24, verse number 15. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord. I want you to catch this. The sight. That tells me Moses saw something. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. The children of Israel didn't even see what Moses saw. Moses was on the mount. Matter of fact, the Bible says where we just read, he went outside looking in. And what they saw was the glory of the Lord like a divine. I would imagine some of them thought, Moses may not be coming back down. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. They probably started thinking he's not coming back. And why would you want to leave the glory of the Lord? Come and it's like from those looking in, it's like fire devouring the mountain. A cloud that's covering it. And the Lord begins speaking to Moses. Would you be interested in what he has to say in this setting? Me too. So go to the first verse of the next chapter. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. Well, that's not what you expected, is it? Some of you got nervous already just because I said bring an offering. Is that what you thought the Lord was going to say first? There ain't a one of you that thought that, is there? He said, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. Of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. Now, I feel a little bit of resistance right about this moment. So I'm just going to tell you, if you're getting nervous because I've read the word offering twice and you think that we're building up to an offering again and we're going to try, you just let the word of God work. But if that's making you uncomfortable, you might need to examine why that makes your heart uncomfortable. I find it interesting that the Lord here said, Take it from those that give it willingly. That tells me that if somebody was bringing it begrudgingly, the Lord didn't want Moses to have it. I'm not interested if they're not doing it willingly with their heart. Sounds like what Paul told the church. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Okay, so I I just felt a little bump right there, so we paused. Let's keep going. And this is the offering. He even told them what they should bring. This is the offering which you shall take of them, gold and silver and brass. Now, that can make sense to us, right? And, and Now, 
Remember, don't forget the setting. This is the Lord speaking. Moses is in the mountain. There's devouring fire and clouds, and this is what the Lord's telling him. And blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair. This offering's getting more and more interesting. Read on. And ram skins dyed red and badger skins and shittim wood Oil for the light, spices for anointing oil and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. The Lord described all this offering. This is the first thing he's telling them in this mountain. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. Now turn with me quickly over to verse 30, or verse chapter 36 of Exodus. Because I want you to see this, and then we're going to go back to chapter 26. Sorry, I should have told you that sooner. You could have held your finger right there. Starting there with verse number 2. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to the work, to do it. And they received of Moses all. Now this is them fulfilling. What we just read the Lord told Moses to tell them. And they received of Moses all the offering. Which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary. To make it with all. And they brought yet unto him free offerings, that means of their own free will, they brought unto him, yet unto him, free offerings, how often? Every morning. And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work which they made. All the wise men wrought all the work of the sanctuary and came every man from his work which they made. Hold your finger right there. Little side note here. I noticed someone took the time to bend the bent pole back up straight out in the parking lot. I also noticed someone took the time to either clean, replace, or buy a new and change out the little aerator on the faucet in the men's restroom. Now, I know those are small things. And I don't know who did it. But whoever did it, I just want you to know I noticed. And I'm thankful that a wise man or woman wrought some work for the sanctuary. May the Lord bless you for doing that. Okay, verse 5. And they spake to Moses. This is 
Bezalel and Aholiab, speaking to Moses, the men who have been receiving this offering. They spake to Moses and they said, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And the Lord, or and Moses, gave commandment. And they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. Because the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it and too much. Go back to verse chapter 25 because we may reference it again. So we just read the word of the Lord to Moses on the mount. Now, I know there was more, but I wanted you to see where he started. And then we read after those 40 days and 40 nights when he came down and shared the word of God with the people. We saw their response to the word of God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? They believed it was the word of God, didn't they? How do we know they believed it was the word of God? Their response. Their response in faith. They so believed it was the word of God that finally it got to a point that Moses had to command them, stop giving offering. I can honestly tell you, in 53 years, I've received a few offerings along. I've never done that. I, it, it's, that's an interesting... Now, I've been in services and witnessed where people have begun giving offering and giving gifts and giving things and giving... I've, I've been in a service where I've watched people give multi-thousand dollar Rolexes, cars... Begin to just where the spirit of the Lord gripped a heart to give and giving began to take place. And it was God moved in a room. There's something about offering. And see, we have to we have to we have to let the Lord touch our minds because so often what we've made offering is just this thing that we do at times in service where we return the tithe and give an offering. And so we, when we hear the word offering, unfortunately, we often just immediately think only about finances. It's applicable, but it's far more than that. We, we worshiped here at the outset. Our, our lifted hands, our singing, our lifted voice is an offering of praise and worship. You giving of your time to the kingdom daily is an offering of yourself. Your availing yourself to the Lord in prayer is an offering. Your return of your tithe and offering and finance is an offering. There is a, there is a returning and a giving. There's an off, what we see here and we witness that we read in chapter 36 is we see people with a heart that's willing to just give. It was an attitude. Not what can I get, but what can I give? Now, watch. Go back to chapter 25 and verse 8. Thank you for bearing with me. You have no idea how much I'm holding myself back from wanting to just go. 
But we got to get this. We got to see this. So all this has happened. All this has taken place. People have given to the point where Moses commands them to stop giving. And we know they responded because it was the word of the Lord. But we also almost miss. We get so focused sometimes on what's given that we miss the why. And the why is what really matters. The why is what turns the heart to say yes. Thank you to the many who have given through these last couple of months in returning offering for Mattawa and seeing the work that's taking place there. God is going to restore to you, I believe some of you, a hundredfold. And we're going to see the blessing of the hand of God in that city and in that region because you willingly, of a cheerful heart, gave and said, I want to see the work of God go forward. Hear me. Go back to verse number 8 in chapter 25. This is why you're receiving the offering, Moses. This is why I want the people to give. It's not about getting stuff so you can say you got stuff. This is why, and this is why the people were willing to give. The Lord said, let them. I want you to see that. Let them, who? The people that give. The people that freely give. The people with a willing heart that give. Let them Make me a sanctuary. Why? That I may dwell among them. I have a question for you. How motivated would you be to give of all that you have? Time, energy, effort, attendance, uh, uh, finance. How willing would you be to give... If you knew your giving was creating a place for the living God to dwell. I want you to think about that for a minute. The reason they were so motivated to give is one, they knew it was the word of God. But they weren't hanging up on what am I giving away. They were hung up on this word from the Lord. He said what we're giving is so we can make a place. And the God that we saw on the mountain like fire said he's going to dwell among us. I have nothing worth holding on to that can be greater than what I get when I release it. There is nothing in my possession that I can hold on to and say it's so valuable that it would be more valuable than the living God dwelling among me. And they understood that. And so they gave. Moses said, okay, there's enough for what he told us to do. You got to stop. The reason for their giving was because of the word of the Lord that he would dwell among them and he didn't say Moses receive it and then you build he said let them make it you got to know something nobody else can build for you the place where God dwells with you you can't live on mom and dad's relationship with God once you get to a point in your walk with 
in life. I mean, when my kids were four and five and six, they were hanging on to mom and dad. They went where we went. As long as they lived in our house, they came to church when we came to church. And the moment they thought that wasn't going to be the case was the moment they didn't live in my house anymore. If they were living there eating my food, me paying for their heat, and their then they're listening to my rules. Now, you can say, well, you know, that's a little, you call it what you want. I call it being the head of my home. But there comes a point in life where they had to determine, I want God to dwell where I am. I thank God for dad's walk. I thank God for mom's walk. I thank God for my grandparents' walk. But somewhere along the way, I decided on the journey, I want him to dwell where I am. And the Lord said, let them make me a sanctuary. Nobody else can make your sanctuary. I thank God for the body of Christ. We need to come together, and we'll probably get there in the weeks ahead. But I'm telling you, you and I have a personal responsibility to make a sanctuary. If he's going to dwell where you are, nobody else can build it for you. If he's going to dwell where you are, it can't be somebody else's prayer closet that gets him there. They may pray for you, and it may arrest your heart with conviction. But you got to find a closet of prayer. you got to find a place in the Word. you got to find a life committed. you got to find a place of dedication and consecration. Stop saying, well, I just don't seem to feel it. It's because you haven't yet given of yourself there was a principle that the Lord was establishing to his people he said let them make me a sanctuary that I can dwell among them who's the them he dwelt among it was them that gave now watch it's interesting to me when you look man it's a good thing we're not doing all this today I'm almost I'm I thought we'd be further along already. Watch what happens here. We find an interesting thing as we begin to read. Because what we see here, this is the beginning of the tabernacle. Because verse 9, he said, According to all that I show you, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. The Lord was saying to Moses, don't you deviate from what I show you. Don't change the plans that I give you. Don't alter the instruction that I set out before you. I'm going to dwell with you. You're going to build it the way I tell you to build it. If I'm going to live where you live, then you've got to build it the way I say it's got to be built. You don't get to bring in your own plans. You don't get to bring in your own construction blueprint. I'm going to tell you how to build it, Moses, and this is exactly how it's got to be built. I'm sorry, we just can't build the church any way we want. It's got to be built according to the Word of God. It's got to be built according to the pattern of God. And it's got to be built by the people of God. And if it's not built by His pattern, His Word, His way, and His people, He will not dwell there because it will not be His church. It's got to be built according to His pattern. And so we see throughout Exodus, we see the word holy mentioned 45 times in the book of Exodus alone. 45 times, over 10% of the times it's mentioned in the Bible, it's mentioned in the book of Exodus. 66 books, but 10% of the time it's in the book of Exodus. Out of those 45 times, 37 of those times it's spoken pertaining to the tabernacle itself. Holy, what does it mean to be holy? Holy, the literal word that we read in Exodus in Hebrew is apartness, sacredness. Set apartness. 
consecrated, dedicated, hallowed. This is what it means to be holy, to be set apart, to be sacred, to be consecrated, to be dedicated. The Lord said some things about the temple, the tabernacle, that it would be holy. He called it the holy place. Matter of fact, when he started, he said, it's going to have a holy place and a most holy place. A place that's set apart, a place that's consecrated, a place that's dedicated. That's what he's calling it. Matter of fact, 12 times he mentioned the holy place. Only one time he mentioned the most holy place there in that passages. We see actually, interestingly to me, nine times using the word holy in Exodus alone. He speaks specifically of the garments upon the people that were in the tabernacle. Described them as garments that were holy, that were separate, that were sacred, that were set apart, that were divine or dedicated. He uses the word holy things. This is only in the book of Exodus. He uses the word holy gifts. When they brought stuff, it had to be holy. The things they used had to be holy. He uses the word twice holy crown. That which sat upon the head of the high priest when he would go into the most holy place. Matter of fact, on that holy crown, he said, engrave the words holiness unto the Lord. We see holy food offered, mentioned twice. We see the atonement being called holy. We see holy ointment being used to make a holy anointing oil. Matter of fact, seven different times he calls the anointing oil holy, only in the book of Exodus that I'm referencing right now. He calls the priests and the servants to be holy. He said to make a perfume and an incense that would be offered up. And three times he admonished them when they make it, make sure it's holy. It will be a holy incense offered unto the Lord. He spoke of a day of worship, the Sabbath, and he called it holy. And then he called all of it when it was put together and he finished it and made it. He said, this tabernacle will be holy unto the Lord. It will be set apart. It will be sacred. It will be dedicated. It will be consecrated. Why did holiness matter so much to God? Why was he so concerned with every piece of furniture being set apart, sacred, divine, dedicated? Why was he so concerned with the anointing oil that they used being set apart, sacred, dedicated? He said, don't take that anointing oil and let it touch any flesh. It's holy. It's not meant to come against flesh. We find in the New Testament the Apostle Paul saying, no flesh will glory in my presence. This dedication, this consecration, this set-apartness mattered to God in the temple. Every piece of furniture was to be anointed with holy anointing oil. Every piece in the tabernacle was holy unto the Lord. We read later on in Scripture where they had the ark had been taken and they were trying to return it to Jerusalem. And there was a man by the name of Uzzah who made a mistake when they put the ark up on a cart and the cart shook and the ark of the covenant was going to come off and Uzzah without thinking stuck out his hand to steady the ark and when his hand touched the ark the Lord slew him that he died. Why? Because Uzzah was a man of the Levites. He knew I can't touch that. He had not cleansed himself and been holy and no man was to touch the holiness of the Lord. And so when he touched that holy thing the Lord slew him. Holiness Matters to God. Now hear me. Why was the Lord so concerned 
with the tabernacle being holy. I'll tell you why. Verse 8. That's why. You're not just building some building for people to look at. Moses, what I'm giving you instruction to build is where I'm going to dwell. And I'm not dwelling in a place that is used for anything else besides me. I want a place that is set apart. Unto me. I want a place that is sacred unto me. I want a place that is dedicated unto me. I want a place that is consecrated unto me. I want a place that is separated apart from everything else unto me. Why must everything in it and around it and that touches it be holy? Because I'm going to dwell there. And I'm not interested in sharing any place I dwell with anything else. So it was the pattern of the tabernacle that everything would be holy because it was where God would dwell. It's an interesting thing if you read through Exodus and you look at this tabernacle and you look at these things brought in the offering. Don't forget all the offering was about creating a place. And you look at all these things. I mean, we read it here, the stuff they were, I mean, we could hear, you know, bring gold and silver and brass. We're like, okay, yeah, that sounds like an offering to, that we think about today. But man, then he shifted and he said like, like, you know, and okay, purple and blue and scarlet and fine linen. Okay, that sounds good. Man, but then it seemed like he sort of went off the rails almost. I'd like goat's hair and I'd like ram skins dyed red and I'd like some badger skins. You're like, whoa. Hold on a minute. When if you read and you look at the tabernacle and the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness, you see that those goat's hair and that ram skin dyed red and those, um, those, other, those badger skins, they were actually used to make the covering, the outside of the tabernacle. Yeah? Isn't that interesting? I mean, you think that he would want it to look really, really beautiful. Seems like all the gold and all that stuff should be on the outside. Seems like all the silver should be on the outside. Seems like all that beautiful furniture and all of those altars and seems like that should all be on the outside so, so that men could look and see how beautiful it is. Oh, no. The Lord, oh sure, there's purpose in all that. We don't have time for all that today. But there's purpose for all of those specific skins that were used. There's a reason the, the ram skins were to be dyed red so that when people saw the tabernacle, they would see the red dyed skins woven throughout its covering. He wanted it that way for a reason. I think you probably understand that. But we see that when men looked at the tabernacle, the focus was not on what it looked like on the outside. The focus was on who dwelt on the inside. And the Lord, he knew the people of Israel well enough. I mean, these were the people that the first time Moses went up into the mount, the second he was gone, they started, well, maybe not the second, but it wasn't long when they thought he's not coming back. They decided we'll just build a golden calf. They took their gold and their earrings and their stuff, and they willingly gave it. And they gave it, and Aaron, I mean, do you ever believe Aaron's story? 
Aaron said, you know, they gave me all this gold and I put it in the fire and this calf came out. I ain't buying that. That which was in his mind, he formed with his hands. Be careful what you let in your mind. And so this is what, and so the Lord knew they got something they can look at. They're going to glorify what they look at. I don't want their focus on the building. I want their focus on me that dwells there. They're creating a place for me to dwell. I don't want their attention. If I get it all fancy on the outside, they're going to start worshiping that place. Come on, is it any wonder? Even the disciples in Jesus' day, they got to Jerusalem and they told Jesus, oh, look at the temple and how it's made. Isn't it beautiful? They were caught up in how the temple looked. Jesus didn't have the stomach for that. We must remember the temple is all about who dwells there. Who dwells there? It wasn't much to look on, but oh, when sacrifices were offered in the temple. And the blood of a lamb and a goat was on the altar. And blood was put on the horns of the altar. And blood was put on the pieces of furniture. And that one day, a year of atonement, when blood was put on the mercy seat in between the cherubims in the most holy place and the glory of the Lord would come down and the glory of the Lord would fill the tabernacle so that no man the day of dedication of the tabernacle no man could enter in because the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle understand the children of Israel recognize it's not about the temple it's about who lives there our building is not so we can brag about what we've built. Our building is so that by the great grace of God, we could create a place that he says, I'll live there. I'll dwell there. I'll make my home there. I'll put my seat there. And we sang the song today from Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. There is a dwelling place that God has. There is a dwelling place that God desires. But hear me and hear the word of the Lord. He will not dwell in an unholy place. What is an unholy place? By definition, it's a place that tries to share that which should be set apart for God with other things. The desire of God has not changed. He still desires his people to make him a sanctuary so that he can dwell among them. Now watch. Well, we won't go read because we don't have time. It's in there. Most of you know it. If not, go do some Bible study this afternoon. We find that David, King David, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. God called him that. 
David had this thing going on. He built himself a house. It was a nice house. But David, as a worshiper, as a worshiper, David was talking to the Lord. And David said, it just doesn't seem right that I have this beautiful home, this palace that I dwell in. And yet the living God dwells in this place with animal skins. I'd like to make him a fancier house. Now this wasn't God's idea at first. It was David's. But oh, how the Lord loved David's heart. What was so beautiful about that? David was convicted by the fact. That what he prepared for self was more impressive than what he prepared for God. He was gripped, I believe, by the fact that the attention he gave to his self-care and his... And I know those are the words we're hearing a whole lot today. You got to have self-care and you got to have self this and you got to have self that. And, you know, that really opposes the word of God. The word of God says if you'll die, you'll really live. But so David was convicted. I believe with all my heart he was convicted. He's like, I built this beautiful place that I live, but God has... How can it be that I would prepare for myself a place that's far more precious and beautiful than the place prepared for God? And so he had it in his heart. I'm going to do something greater than I've ever done for myself. I'm going to do something for God. I want the place he dwells to be like no other place. I want the place that he dwells to be something that everyone would speak about so they would know. David wasn't doing it so he could say, oh, I'd really like that. Then people say, look what David did. That wasn't his motive. His motive was where God dwells. And so the Lord did not let him build it, but he let Solomon build it. Interesting study, different time, an interesting note if you look at it. You know, David named his son Solomon, which if you search out, Solomon means peaceable. Of course, David was glad to have a ceasing from war. Solomon reaped the benefit of all of David's bloody days of war. And so he named his child Peaceable. That's not what the Lord told him to name him. The Lord told him to name him Jedidiah. We don't have time this morning. Some of you, your wheels are turning now, aren't you? Go look and see what that means. Now Watch. I can't do all the work for you. Now watch. So Solomon builds the temple. And he has multiple altars. He has multiple labors. He Why? He's wanting something great for God. He had something that he received of his father. This wasn't birthed in Solomon. This was birthed in his father. Mom, dad, you listening to me today? Grandma, grandpa, you listening to me? You determine what value you place on the sanctuary you build determines how much value your children will place on the sanctuary they build. 
If building a sanctuary that's holy and separated and set apart to God matters to you, if your children see that you're setting aside, giving your time, your effort, your finance, your energy, that you're set apart unto the Lord, and they see that you do it not to be seen of men, but you do it not to follow rules and regulations, but you do it because I owe my life to Him, and He dwells with me. And they see the value of that and the relationship you have. Your children are like, I'm going to build something greater than dad built. I'm going to build something greater than mom built. And I'm telling you, I pray for my kids. God, give them a heart to build something greater than you've allowed me to build. Give them a heart to build greater things. Let your presence and your power dwell among them in greater measure and manifestation. Let your glory be revealed in greater measure and manifestation. Solomon entered into what David wanted to build. And I'm telling you, if you give yourself to chasing the almighty dollar, bigger cars, fancier houses, more stuff, don't be shocked when your children are wrapped up in the world and materialism and that's what they're going after. But you give yourself to prayer and the word and you tell them we're going to be in the house of God when the doors are open and when they're singing, we're singing and we're worshiping together unto our God. Your children will do the same. It matters. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And so Solomon built the temple and they offered sacrifices, thousands, thousands of sacrifices unto the Lord. And we see something happen. The glory of the Lord filled the temple so that no man could enter in. It's beautiful to me. We see, and I'm hurrying to finish, Isaiah chapter 6. Aren't you glad we're not going all the way to the end today? Isaiah chapter 6. I'll give you a teaser. We're not going to get out of the Old Testament today. But oh, if you think there's something here, wait till we... Oof. Isaiah chapter 6. What a beautiful thing. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, my earthly king, the year that man that I exalted and lifted up, See, you got to be careful about looking to human government for your answers. The year that Isaiah's earthly king died, Isaiah said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. Yes. Now watch, watch. He was high and he was lifted up. And what? His train, what did it feel? It filled the temple. I have a question for you. If Isaiah saw the Lord on his throne and his train filled the temple, where was the Lord's throne? It was in the temple. It was in the temple. His throne was in the temple. Why do you think the Antichrist, when he comes, at one point will take and set his throne in the temple on Mount Moriah? 
Making himself as though he's God. The scripture calls it the abomination of desolation. Why? Because the Antichrist is doing all he can to make people think he's God. And so he will take his throne and set it in the earthly temple. Even the God of this world understands where the throne of the Lord is. Ooh, man, I really want to get to the finish, but we just can't. I'm getting revelation while I'm talking to you. The throne is in the temple. But watch. So I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And now he's, he's here, and he's in the temple, and he's watching this happen. Above it, above the throne in the temple, stood the seraphims. That's angels. Each one had six wings with two face with two he covered his feet with two he did fly next verse and one angel cried to the other angel and listen what they said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory holy 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 couldn't they find other words to say there was no other words needed to be said he's holy he's sacred he's dedicated he's consecrated the place where he lives is set apart unto him holy 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 is the lord of hosts and the whole earth is full of his glory verse four and the posts which posts the posts of the door Post of which door? The door of the temple. The posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house, which house? The temple was filled with smoke. You know, it's interesting. Men, can I talk to the men for just a second? We don't have time for the Bible study today, but you can go dig and search. Men, men in Scripture are the pillars. That doesn't diminish women. It's, the difference, it's a difference of role. Men are pillars or posts. If you got men that won't move, at the voice of the one that cries. Don't expect the glory of the Lord to fill the house. Sometimes. Try and be careful here. Help me, Lord. Sometimes women seem to be far more of a worshiper than men. I realize we worship differently. But the glory of the Lord filled the house when the posts moved. Are posts supposed to move? Well, apparently, in the temple where the Lord dwells, when his voice speaks, the posts move. I wonder what would happen if every man, when we entered into the house of the Lord, said, my wife will not worship more than I do. I'm not trying to create a competition. Don't misunderstand me here.
but said, no, I'm going to worship. My kids are going to see me worship. My kids are going to learn to worship not just because of what mom does. They're going to learn to worship because of what dad does. Okay, we got to move. The post of the door, that was just bonus on that verse. Now watch. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I. This is Isaiah. He's in the temple. He sees the throne of God. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. Why am I undone? Because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The place where he dwells was revealed to me. And when I saw the place where he dwells revealed, I saw my own inadequacy in the light of his glory and holiness. You know why we'll put up with junk in our lives that doesn't please God? Because we haven't let the Lord touch our eyes to see his glory in the temple. Because the moment we see it and it fills the temple, we become very aware of our frailty and our humanity and our undoneness. Would you talk to the Lord about that right now? We're going to go just a little further and we'll finish. Jesus, you are holy. Jesus, you are holy. Jesus, you are holy. Help us to see and understand and recognize how holy you are and your desire for a holy people that you would dwell there in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. The book of Malachi, we finish here. Malachi chapter 3. Starting with verse number 1. Prophetic word of the Lord through Malachi. The Lord is speaking. He says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Now watch. The messenger is not the focus. The Lord is speaking. Jehovah of the Old Testament is speaking. The Lord God Almighty. And he said that the messenger will prepare the way before him. Yes? He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek. What's he going to do? He shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Next verse. Stand with me today. Now we see this promised word of the Lord that he shall suddenly come to his temple. It's a promised word. Israel was wanting him to come. They tried to create it. Remember the temple? They were building a place for him to dwell. But now they've got a prophetic word that the Lord that they seek will come. 
And he will suddenly come to his temple. But he doesn't stop there. He asks the question of them about the coming of the Lord to his temple. He said, who may abide the day of his coming? And who will stand when he appears? Because he's not going to just appear all warm and fuzzy when he comes to his temple. But when he comes, he will come like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He said when he comes, he's come. remember how Israel saw him on the mountain? Remember? He was a devouring fire they saw up on the mountain when Moses was there in the mount. And the Lord said, I'm going to come to my temple suddenly. You're waiting for me. You're looking for me. And when I come, I'm going to come. But when I come, you got to ask yourself this question. Will you be able to abide the day of my coming? Because when I come, I'm coming like a refiner's fire. And I'm coming like a fuller's soap. What is he doing? He's saying, I'm coming to my temple to purify it. Why? Because the temple was meant to be holy, but the children of Israel had desecrated the temple. They had turned it into a place of idolization in their own minds. They had moved in with their own traditions of men. They were no longer simply keeping everything holy and separated and consecrated unto the Lord. And so he said, when I'm coming, I'm coming with a fire like a refiner and soap like a fuller. Next verse, watch what it does. And he, who's he? The Lord that comes. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi. That's the priests that work in the temple. And purge them as gold and silver. Why? That they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Remember how this whole temple started? With an offering. And he said, when I come, Brother Ethan, would you come? He said, when I come to my temple, the reason I'm coming is because it was meant to be holy in every way. But Israel, what you've done to the temple, it needs to be purified and purged. And so when I come, A refiner's fire is such that the silver is put in the fire. The fire is hot. I don't know the temperature. You can search it out. It's really hot. So hot that the gold and silver would become liquid. Has to be hot enough to make the gold and silver liquid. The offering that's brought. But what happens at the refiner's fire is as that gold and silver becomes liquid, the impurities, that which is not holy, that which is unclean, it's called in gold and silver, it's called the dross. At the refiner's fire, the dross separates from the gold and the silver that's pure. And that which is unclean, the dross comes to the surface in the fire, in the liquid, in the metal. And the refiner sits 
and he watches the fire. And as the dross comes, the refiner reaches in and he takes the dross off and lets it burn some more and more dross comes to the surface and the refiner reaches in and he cleans off the dross. What is he doing? He's making the silver till it's pure, the gold till it's pure, till it's completely holy. How does the refiner know when the silver is pure? I'll tell you how the refiner knows it's done. He skimmed the last of the dross and he's looking in at the silver. And there's no more dross to come. And the refiner sees his reflection clearly in the silver. And he knows. It's now pure. My reflection's no longer distorted. My reflection's no longer blurred. I now see myself clearly. It's pure. I'm opening this altar to you today. The Lord would desire those that would make him a sanctuary where he could dwell it is a beckoning call of the spirit of God for this hour and this last day so that he would have a church where he could dwell where he could dwell and the focus is not the temple the focus is he who would dwell in the temple the purging of the temple is for he who would come and dwell there. Oh, that he would make his abode in the temple. Oh, that the refiner would come with a fire and begin to work in the temple. It's a place where he would dwell. The desire of God has not changed. The desire of God has not shifted. He would desire a holy place to dwell. In the name of Jesus.